Hi everyone, Jay Doherty here from the Jay Doherty Podcast. Today we're broadcasting live. We're going to be talking about uh, Roger Stone's associate and the relation or supposed lack of relation between him and the Mueller office. We'll also talk about the capitalistic scheme that is known as Black Friday. And the 36-year-old who could replace John Kelly as chief of staff in the White House. Plus we'll get a check on the markets uh, now that they're back open after the Thanksgiving holiday. It's all coming up next on episode 46 of the Jay Doherty Podcast. And now, broadcasting live from downtown Chicago, here's your host, Jay Doherty. Hello, everyone. It is 12.38 on Friday, November 23rd, 2018, and we're broadcasting live. We have a couple things to talk about. Um, very interesting things, actually. Something that's kind of, at least in, in my opinion, unexpected. Um, and something that um, was kind of unexpected uh, within the political... Uh, operation that is Washington. Uh, but before we get to any of that, I want to point out, first of all, that's Black Friday. We'll talk about what that means and everything. Um, of course, that is something that we will get to on uh, this episode. But uh, there, uh, there's a lot of other stuff that we have to uh, get through. Uh, so something that's very interesting is actually Michelle Obama, you might know, you probably have heard of her new book, uh, you may be one of the 1.4 million people within the United States and Canada that have bought her book within the first seven days that it was out. That's right, she sold 1.4 million copies in one week. Now we're going to do the math and try and find out exactly how much she made just off of the United States and Canada, and then maybe we'll add in the uh, other 575,000 copies in print that were sold uh, within the United Kingdom and uh, something. You know, that's very great that it was kind of had a worldly outlook on um, her book had that, and we'll, we'll, do the, we'll do the math and we'll talk about um, the way that Crown Publishing, who is the, uh, the publisher of her book, uh, released those st- statistics in a way that were easy to understand and uh, the uh, ge- geographical locations of all the places that uh, the book was sold. Uh, we can do some analysis on that as well because it is very uh, interesting. Actually, you know, I was going to do that last, but I feel like if we're going to do the stocks last, I think it's more uh, more relevant, more important to do her book uh, um, uh, first as opposed to last. So let's talk about that. Now, Crown Publishing, they're, they're the company... Um, that published her book. It's uh, C- Crown Publishing, and um, they have a website. We'll put it in the uh, in the in the um, show notes, of course. Um, but they they do a lot of uh, publishing for books. Um, they 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 have a website, of course. As I said, it's called the Crown Publishing Group. Um, they have tons of tons of uh, great books that they do. It's actually, if you go on their website, it's actually. It seems like a pretty small, uh, well-run company. Or it seems like that. I don't know what it... I mean, I, I haven't really looked into the actual publishing company that much. But uh, according to the Associated Press, the AP, they have said that, they, that Michelle Obama has sold 1.4 million copies of her book uh, as of yesterday uh, at 4.37 p.m. So, today's, today's Friday. It's 12.41. I'm broadcasting this live. Uh, we have a couple people watching right now, or listening. Um, so, then th- she's doing tours as well. There's uh, tour dates, which are also on that website. I'll put the, they, they actually have an, uh, a nice little graphic 
um, uh, on their website, on um, Crown Publishing website, where they have all of the dates where she's doing her book tour. Uh, and it's really all across the country. They have one in Chicago, of course, uh, Los Angeles, Washington, D.C., obviously, of course. Um, they have... Um, one in Boston, Washington, Philadelphia, Brooklyn, Detroit, Denver, San Jose, Dallas, and Brooklyn. So, uh, 12 stops around the country, and I'm sure she'll do more as, as the book goes on. I've not uh, been able to actually get a copy of it, uh, but I will certainly get one in the future um, and take a look at uh, what, what it's all about. Um, she has done, I think she did like 17 interviews in uh, one week or something while she was in uh, Chicago and a bunch of different places, really just um, uh, making sure that uh, everyone knew about the book and, you know, bring the dough in a little bit because, uh, you know, not that they needed or anything, but, uh, you know, they it, it's certainly a very interesting book and uh, one that I think a lot of people are very interested to read uh, and everything. But let's talk about this 1.4 million statistic. Now, when I look at that, when anyone looks at that, they're like, oh, wow, $1.4 million only within the continental United States and Canada. Now, when you, actually, I believe it was not only the continental United States, it was, you know, Hawaii and Alaska, you can't forget about them. But I, I um, you know, I, I do think that that is not just the, that, that, that does not include just the continental United States. So it was released on November thirteenth. It sold one point four million copies, as I've said. But um, on in terms of on demand retailers across everywhere, on on the first day, it actually racked up most of its sales around the world on every single known channel. It sold seven hundred twenty five dollars on its premiere day on uh, November thirteenth. Now. Crown Publishing also had reported that it's the number one adult nonfiction title in not only the um, United Kingdom, but also Germany, France, Holland, Spain, Denmark, and Finland, and 200,000 copies were sold in Germany, that's why they uh, prompted that statistic, and um, they actually, they, they only printed uh, a certain amount of, of, of um copies, right, for Germany, in German, uh, for German readers, so they had to print another 100,000 copies of her book in German because there was such a great uh, number of people that bought it. Now, in the United Kingdom, they sold 575,000 copies uh, in print, that's only in print, you know, a lot of people read on e-readers, Kindles, iPads, all that, but 575,000 copies in print. And then in Holland, the Dutch language um, edition, which was the second best selling in the world, or second best in, ne in the Netherlands, um, and the English language, uh, of course, ranked second. So the English language, while she is American, and uh, America is a predominantly English-speaking country, um, according to Donald Trump, and yeah, that, that is a true, that's just a joke, uh, but that is a true statistic, um, it was ranked second, and I think that's actually very interesting. It shows the uh, universal, uh, diverse appeal of the Obamas and their legacy as well. Um, you know, there, there, it, it, and I think it's always look. It's interesting to look at this in the broader scope of past uh, presidents and first ladies and how they've sold their books. Um, they, they, Michelle Obama has surpassed all of them, basically by statistically so far. It's only the first week, which is kind of mesmerizing. Um. 
But in Hillary Clinton's uh, book, when she released it after she was uh, first lady, um, you know, because the Clinton need, Clintons need more money, uh, you know, with their with their cultural elitism. Um, but anyway, Living History that was her book that she released. It had uh, only six hundred thousand copies, uh, in total. And I mean, only uh, six hundred thousand is a lot of copies. But you know, in the uh, when you're in the three million two two point two two and a half to three million range, just in hard copies with Michelle Obama, it's kind of Hard to, uh, certainly, certainly hard to compare, um, uh, right there, um, with, you know, those statistics only within the first week. Um, yeah. I mean, but 600,000 is still a great number, and, uh, but, you know, there's no doubt in saying that 3 million is better. <laughs> uh, so yeah, especially with Hillary Clinton being, you know, the... Uh, I don't mean to demean Hillary Clinton, but I, I, you know, I don't know. She wasn't a prize either within the elections and in, in, in her past character, of course, obviously. Um, but, you know, she was the Secretary of State uh, under Obama, and that was, I know, the timeline is not, you know, doesn't is not in her favor, at least within the book sales. But she was, um, you know, she had a long playing role in government. Um, she had many roles. She ran for many roles. Um, and her book, of course, I don't know, whatever. That That's irrelevant. We got to get to the two main stories. Number one, there's a really young 36-year-old uh, rich guy that might replace Trump. I mean, <laughs> not replace Trump. Trump will... Uh, stay in the office of the President of the United States, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> for probably the next uh, six years if he decides to run again, which I'm sure he will. I'm positive he will run. Well, he will not win. <laughs> I, I, I know. He will run again. He will run again. I did not mean to say win. Uh, he will run again uh, in, the, in the next race. Uh, but uh, let's talk about this young rich guy, Nick Ayers. He could be... Trump's next chief of staff, replacing the current general, John Kelly, the guy who was made basically famous, by not only taking Donald Trump's job, but also by firing Omarosa Manigault Newman. We reported on that, or I reported on that, um, you know, in the past on this podcast uh, and all that. But let's talk about uh, the, the potential that this young person has. Now, uh, the Huffington Post wrote a story about his existence, and they, and I'm quoting this now, he said, they said, in person, Ayers is known to be exhaustingly charming. He has a panache you don't normally encounter in D.C., floppy blonde hair, wide smile, swift stride, and expensive suit. His greatest weapon is a southern drawl that makes you feel as if everything is happening in slow motion. If you talk slow, people think you think slow, said Mark Meadows, uh, the Republican congressman and chair of the House Freedom Caucus. Um, and Ayers thinks uh, four times fast as he talks. So that's what they. That's what the Huffington Post says. Um, you know, so um, apparently he talks slow. I don't know how that's relevant to... Uh, you know, his replacement as the chief of staff, but, um, he kind of reminds me in a way of Jared Kushner, uh, you know, a little bit, a little bit strange, a little bit, uh, you know, uh, tied up in the mess of Washington and incredibly charming, but, uh, you know, not really, uh, uh, you know, very understood at least, kind of a new figure. Um, uh, the one thing that, um, is kind of pr uh, prominent about this, uh, young, man, well, in Washington, young man, above, you know, if you're below 50 in Washington, you're considered young, and especially, you're diverse if you're not a, you know, a white Irish, or not, uh, a white Christian heterosexual male, that's, you know, if you're below 50 and you're, um, not, 
you know, white Christian heterosexual male, you are incredibly diverse in the eyes of Washington, which is not good at all. It's really bad. And, uh, you know, I think the the wave of um, the poor job that millennials will do is, well, actually, I, I mean, I don't know. I, that's a whole other topic about generations and stuff. But I think the government and the governmental structure of the United States and other countries will continue to become more diverse as generation goes on, and that's kind of an undebatable fact just because the lack of um, ignorance has kind of um, increased, uh, which is very good. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's something that will definitely happen, and that's kind of non-debatable statistically. Anyway, let's talk about uh, the, the tensions and the goods that he has with certain people. Now, first of all, this guy, uh, Ayers, he is v- super, super loyal to Trump. He is very, uh, apparently charming towards Trump. Uh, he talks, he's very rich. He, I think, I believe he inherited a lot of money. Um, but he has a big, uh, tension, um, uh, reportedly a big, uh, tension with, um, I believe it is, let me see here. Um, he had someone, someone in the, uh, I believe it's Kellyanne Conway. Um, yeah, uh, let's see here, actually. I, yeah, so, he actually has tensions, because I, I was reading this, and, uh, this, these combination of articles, they only say Kellyanne Conway's name once in the whole article, and then they continue to refer to her as a senior uh, staff member or, you know, some sort of combative uh, uh, person within the White House. So just wanted to clarify and make sure I wasn't uh, reporting fake news. Uh, but th- apparently this guy, Nick Ayers, has a big tension with Kellyanne Conway. There's some beef with them, so that might be something that is certainly, uh, uh, I don't know, maybe like a not conflict of interest, perhaps, or a conflict of interest, it doesn't, I don't know what you would classify that as, but, uh, certainly he has beef with people, and he loves people, and, uh, that seems to be what Trump likes, and, uh, Trump, Trump really likes the constant appraisal of himself, you know, as, uh, Ben Shapiro says, if North Korea launched 50 nukes at the United States, um, and then Kim Jong-un said Trump's an idiot, Trump would care more about that uh, Kim Jong-un said that he was an idiot than the 50 nukes flying out of our country. Um, so, that's that. Um, that. That's basically what's happening. I mean, it, I feel like if John Kelly, who seems to be taking over Trump's job, um, at least from what I've seen, uh, or, and, you know, I don't see, the American people don't really see that much when that happens, but um, a lot of the decisions seem to be made by Mr. Uh, General Kelly. So, uh, you know, that, that's what's happening. Now, let's talk about this, this guy's heir's uh, relationship with Trump. So, Pence, Mike Pence actually brought him on as chief of staff. Um, he talked about the uh, day-to-day operations of the uh, vice president's office. Uh, he, he talked about, um, he, he, he offered help, apparently, within the times of chaos that are within the, uh, the Oval Office. And um, there's a guy named... Uh, Josh Pitock, I believe, or Pitcock, I'm sorry, who was uh, Mike Pence's uh, former chief of staff. Um, he said, and I'm quoting this from an interview, he says, when stuff was going crazy or there would be some bad story and we'd be in crisis mode, um, uh, Josh, the former chief of staff, 
Uh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm misquoting this. Uh, it was it was from a senior White House official, and he said Josh would not come in and be like, "How can I help?" Um, and but Nick would, and uh, that of course would be something that uh, tr- that Trump likes, and I think anyone likes. I mean, that's understandably. But the 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 real the the weird thing is that Trump really likes kiss ups, right? He, he re and and people who seem sincere. Right, I I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Kiss ups the correct definition. Um, but historically, Trump has really, really liked people within his business, within his shows, within his existence, who look up to him and in, who constantly appraise him. Right. I mean, that's why I feel like he likes the military so much. That's why he likes the whole parade so much. And you know, I think he was advised heavily to cancel that parade last year. Uh because it was too expensive, but he likes the, the constant, you know, salutations and, and, and respect that is given towards him by people in the military, which is a constant reminder, reminder of his power and, and, um, you know, all of that. I think he really likes that, and I think that comes with, uh, you know, money and loyalty, right, uh, being, having people be loyal to him. So Ayers, I don't know how great he would be, um, he seems to be a pretty straightforward, uh, conservative guy from what I've seen, a little bit sketchy, um, but I don't know what he would do, I don't know how it would end up in the White House, it depends really on what, what your, what your, uh, political stance is and what you think will happen, if you think John Kelly's doing a good job, then let him stay, I think he's doing a fine job right now, for Trump at least, he's a pretty, uh, I, I do think John Kelly is a very straightforward, straight shooter guy, uh, he does not, you know, I, I mean, I don't know how great his policy ideas are. I mean, he seems to be taking uh, pretty basic orders from the president and then executing them uh, on his behalf. But, um, you know, there's plenty of SNL skits if you want to <laughs> take a look at the light humor of that. And I apologize for my mic. It seems to be continue to crack, but uh, I'm working on fixing that. Uh, yeah, I'm going to work on fixing that after this episode. Uh, anyway, let's talk about this second story on the podcast today. We'll talk about this guy named Jerome... Corsi. Have you ever heard the name? No, probably not. He appeared on InfoWars a couple of times. Things you need to know about him. He's a Roger Stone associate. He works with Roger Stone. If you don't know who that is, then where have you been for the past uh, five months? Uh, he's no, you know, Roger Stone is a, is a um, crazy, basically, guy who uh, appears on InfoWars uh, frequently, and he is a Trump associate. He's done uh, plenty of sketchy things and undercover work for him in the past, but Roger, this guy, Jerome Corsi, is an associate for him, and if you don't know who Roger Stone is, please look him up, I ha- or just go on past episodes, I'll link the episode where I talk about who Roger Stone is in the show notes, because he's very interesting, um, Roger Stone is kind of like now, he's a retired political operative, and now he's like a conspiracy theorist, uh, and political consultant, uh, standing by. Uh, Alex Jones. But the new story, the reason that this is relevant right now is because this guy named Jerome Corsi, who's, you know, Roger Stone's associate, he's a journalist, he's a conspiracy theorist that leans far right in terms of many of his stances. Um, this guy has been involved with the Mueller uh, investigation, the Mueller probe, for two months. And according to Roger Stone, Corsi developed a relationship with Trump over their Birtherism. Now, this is what uh, is very, very interesting here. This is what um, is. This is 
what this is what's very interesting with with um you know the theories the natural born citizen the the all of that the, and that's, that's such a far right that's that's like one of the theories that is just so far right uh, in terms of things and just you know putting people down basically because there's no evidence to suggest that uh, Obama's you know I don't know whatever you can think whatever you want just it's probably going to be wrong if you're um you know, on this issue, talking about conservatism and, and all that. Um, but this, you know, continues to be within the Roger Stone investigation, and I don't know what this guy's, um, you know, talking about. I don't know what his deal is uh, specifically, but it's in the news, and I think it's interesting because it's one of the very few reporters, uh, at least, and unknown reporters in this case, uh, that um, were talked about. Now, that, that are talked about and that are incorporated within the investigations of Robert Mueller, uh, the the Mueller, you know, the um, special counsel's office and all of that. Now, the guy who reported on this originally was a guy named Josh Dowsey from the Washington Post, and th- this is where the story originated from. Um, it's very, very, f- you know, fascinating. There's not really much meat to the story at the moment, um, but there was a big controversy around the Roger Stone and WikiLeaks, um, and how this uh, Jerome Corsi guy has been involved in the Mueller investigation for two months, and then he's done so many uh, countless interviews with investigators as an external operative, um, and he's handed over documents uh, that are unknown to the public uh, and provided testimony before the grand jury within this whole investigation that uh, Robert Mueller is conducting. So yeah, that's basically it um, on that story. Well, I'm sure there will be more developments as things continue to go on, and I'm sure we'll uh, hear some more stuff from uh, the Oval Office of Donald Trump, uh, you know, on his Twitter in a couple of minutes here. But uh, yeah, that's what's happening. Let's talk about this capitalistic scheme called Black Friday. Yay, Black Friday, right? It's so good, right? And in some cases, yes. Some cases, no. Um, a lot of times, stores will just mark things down um, for you know, to, to make them look like they're cheaper than they are, but they're not, um, that's basically it, uh, but sometimes you can get good deals, and that's that, and it's a good holiday, I suppose, but the thing I don't really like about it is that people violently assault people to go get, uh, you know, you know, a $12, um, shirt at Macy's or something for, you know, $11, that seems a little bit ridiculous and unnecessary, so, I don't know, that, that's my little spiel on Black Friday, it's nothing really more than that, not, not in-depth analysis or anything, uh, but that's that, we will now, to close up the show, because I have to get out of here, and I apologize that I'm rushing, but I just wanted to get through all of that, um, but it is very interesting. Now, this is not, okay, and I want to actually get, um, uh, we'll try and end the show at uh, 25, we're at, uh, let's see, 22.36 right here, uh, it says my clock here. This is one of the worst days for the stock market that I've ever seen in my history of reporting for uh, this show. Now, let's take a look at this, because every, literally every single thing is down uh, in terms of America uh, and London and Hong Kong. Germany and um, Japan are up. Uh, but let's talk about all this. Today, the stock markets are doing terrible. The Dow is down 0.73% at 24,285.95, down 180, 178.74. The Nasdaq is down 0.48% at 6,938.98 points, down 33.27 points today. The S&P 500 is down 0.66% at 2,632.56 points, down 17.37. And let's take a look at Apple. That's the stock of the day. They are down 
at 2.62%, and trading at $172.14. Citigroup, General Electric, Google, Microsoft, they're all down as well. The only uh, key statistics that are up today is gold. They're trading at $1,223.40 a bar, up 0.02% points and uh, the euro yen oil and the 10-year yield they're all down uh, the 10-year yields at 3.05 percent and the euro is one dollar and 13 cents the hong kong hang sing market is down 0.35 percent at 25,927.68 down 91.41 points the ftse 100 is down 0.11 percent at 6,952.86 down 7.45 this is at uh, 101 on uh, Friday, November 23rd, by the way. I forgot to say that in the beginning. Take a look at the commodities. It's not doing great, but it's not doing uh, bad either. Um, the oil is down 0.06%, not a bad change, at $50.39 uh, right now. That's what it's trading at. Gas is at $4.31, up 0.02%. Gold, uh, again, at uh, 12.23 and 40, up 0.02%. Silver trading right now at 14.26, remain that for quite some time now, and that's up 0.12%. Corn and oil are the only things that are down. Corn trading at 370.25, and that is down 0.07%. Now, uh, look at how the stocks are doing in 2018, as we always do. Again, in August, as I reported yesterday, uh, all the stocks were up around 17 to 20%. Now, they are down. Every single stock, except for the NASDAQ, is down 1.75%. Uh, and the uh, NASDAQ is up 0.52%, so a little bit of growth there. But the S&P 500 does not compare. Uh, they, or it does compare, excuse me. It is down one. Uh, 0.54%. Again, that is at uh, that is as of 1.03 p.m. on Friday, November 23rd. That is the money on the January podcast, and I hope you enjoyed that uh, money report. We do, uh, you may notice, I do all my money reports very, 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 very exact, because there's no reason to do it not exact. It literally, I did the math, and I averaged out all the times where I read out the decimals um, for the points and the percents. And it only adds about 15 seconds to the whole podcast, especially because I read them relatively quickly. Um, and you can always slow down the podcast or whatever directory you use, and it's pretty easy to, to go ahead and do that. Um, so, yeah. Oh, by the way, I feel like I forgot to mention the uh, incoming song that was uh, on the podcast. Um, oh, no, I clicked the wrong application. I do not want to open that on my computer. Uh, but I do want to tell you this song. Um, that I opened with, and the song was called, um, uh, it is called Imaginary, it's by Jay Jen, and as we close out the podcast, we're listening to, uh, a song called Feel Good, both of these songs are provided by, by our amazing, uh, music content providing partners at VNCM, and this song is by MBB, it's Friday, November 23rd, 2018, I hope, uh, everyone has a good weekend, uh, I believe I will be broadcasting this show, uh, through, uh, Friday and, uh, through Saturday and Sunday as well, so stay tuned for that, uh, and, yeah, this is the Jay Doherty Podcast, I'll see you tomorrow, and, yeah.